RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Season 6, Episode 2, Star Trek Stamp Campaign, October 2nd, 1995. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, hello, Star Trek fans. Hey, Star Trek historians. Hey, you <laughs> collectors of Star Trek ephemera. Yes, of course, all you Trekophiles out there. Hey, we've got, um, we've got a really interesting Trek files for you today. Uh, a, a little bit off the beaten path, but still very much Star Trek. So look, as always, let's get right to it. I have a great guest today and an interesting topic. So, well, they're always interesting, of course, but this one's really different. Hey, you'll see. Check it out on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. As always, there's our document of the week. Check that out. And meantime, here's a sample. And then come right back because I'll be here with this week's guest. If you receive the standard form letter from postal officials objecting on grounds that Trek is commercial and therefore ineligible, be assured our efforts will continue. Elvis, Marilyn Monroe, and Laurel and Hardy stamps are commercial too. Someone once asked Winston Churchill why the English Bulldog has an upturned nose. Churchill replied, so we can breathe without letting go. We intend to keep breathing for as long as it takes. <laughs> I love that piece. Of, I love that letter because it's uh, it reveals the dogged determination that our guest today showed <laughs> and our document of the week showed. Some of you may remember this, but a lot of you may uh, may not know the entire story behind the first, we get to say first now, the first Star Trek stamp. And here with me today is our guest who had a lot to do with all of that coming together, Bill Kraft. Bill, thank you for being our guest this week and thank you for joining us on The Trek Files. Well, I'm glad you're having me. This is going to be a kick. It always is. Well, it's going to be a kick, especially because I have known of you and your drive since, yes, back in the day. We wrote, I know when I was on the well committee and answered, hey kids, answered letters by hand, the ink and, and stamp days, oh, yeah. I always say, when stamps were a lot more a part of our lives than they are today. Yeah, but, um, but as we just saw with the UK issue just a few weeks ago here, um, they're still very much a part of everyone's lives. And when it comes to Star Trek, it's, it's as great a subject as any to put on stamps. But let's go back to the 80s and uh, postage days. And Star Trek had been around for nearly 20 years. What this is these letters are all about there's an end game finally there was a star trek stamp in the 90s as part of a much bigger issue but let's go back to the roots what what possessed you in your in your hometown there in minnesota to come up with this idea what's the roots there okay here's what happened i was living in north dakota at the time and hmm. when star trek the motion picture came out that's when i really got hooked I hadn't paid a lot of attention to it up until then. Then I heard some rumors on the grapevine that there had been some uh, efforts before people were trying to get a Star Trek stamp, but nobody, uh, I don't think they were that serious about it. And right. I just locked into this idea because I thought it was a wonder, wonderful thing to do. And I said, boy, this really sounds great. Let's get the ball rolling. But it was Star Trek, the motion picture, and the ending of that movie, which I discussed pretty specifically in the book, 
when I saw what great science fiction could do, ideas, uh, comments about the human condition and that evolution at the end with V'ger and Decker. And I'm like, okay, th this and the tremendous influence Star Trek has had on our culture. Let's go for yeah. it. Yeah, we should just say that now, years later, <laughs> and I have a copy, you did a book called Maybe We Need a Letter from God, the Star Trek stamp, because this really did turn into a saga. I mean, yeah. you, you, okay, so you say, let's have a Star Trek stamp, but that's easier said than done. Oh, what was the, and, and I know we're talking about a world and a realm where people know nothing about organizing campaigns to get something right. accomplished. That's right. <laughs> Often uphill, you know, as the, uh, as the warrior nuns of Discovery would say, and, and, uh, and, and now uh, in Picard, um, you know, the hopeless situation, the lost cause. I mean, <laughs> it felt that way to you uh, at the beginning. But what? how did that all come about? Well, here's here's the real kickoff. Two big things happened early in this campaign. I called USA Today, the nation's newspaper, mm -hmm. in Mar I think it was March of 86. And I thought, oh, I'm going to give them the big bitch. They're probably going to ignore me. They didn't ignore me. The guy bought into it right away. <laughs> and about, I don't know, three or four days later, my phone number was in USA Today. And I'm the phone rang <laughs> for about six weeks before it was over. I had phone calls from 42 states, England, Scotland, Canada. Mm -hmm. I was getting calls from radio stations and TV stations and newspapers wanting to do interview. And that was a big turning point because it was a way to reach the masses, the, that massive mm -hmm. Star Trek audience, fandom out there. And, and we're talking it. 1985. Yeah. So no internet, right? No this internet. is truly Actually, paper stamps, flyer, petition days. Yeah. That's right. Horse and people and are calling you long distance. They're paying yeah, for those that's calls. Right. They were calling. <laughs> I got up Sunday morning and a guy was calling me from England. England. Could hardly hear him. And then Canada, Scotland. Mm -hmm. It was just incredible. I Six, seven weeks. I didn't have time to eat the first couple of days. I could not eat breakfast because the phone wouldn't stop ringing. So... So what happened? Okay, so great. You had this initial bang reaction, which is awesome. But then how did that translate into actual action? Okay. I started getting phone calls from passionate volunteers, and we formed a committee. There are about five or six people around the country, uh, one in Fort Wayne, one in South Dakota, one in New York, one in Indiana. And they said, gee, we'd like to help you out. So I thought, why don't we form an ad hoc committee and get some petitions signed out and petitions written up and get these things mailed out. See, I was getting all these phone calls from people. And so we'd start mailing uh, petitions to them and have them forward to Washington, D.C., uh, to the stamp committee. So that was the first mm -hmm. one. The second move was the letter endorsements. Now, I mean, yeah, a this is where it gets. Well, it's all fun, but this is where it's really, really interesting in the world of the mid and late 80s and into the 90s. Yeah. Well, the idea was. I didn't want form letters. Now you can go on the internet, write a form letter, and a zillion mm -hmm. people will say, no, 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 no. I want people to write with passion and conviction and sincerity. Mm -hmm. It's not supposed mm -hmm. to sound like a form letter. And that was the, I, I said right from the start, we're not doing form letters. So what are we going to do? How are we going to get credibility? Yeah, we've been in USA Today. How about getting some really big science fiction literary lights like Ray Bradbury? Isaac mm -hmm. Asimov, Arthur C. Clarke. One of the turning points was get, Ray Bradbury was at the top of my list. I used to teach his stories in my American literature course. I love Ray Bradbury. I, get, <laughs> I had a contact in LA, John McMahon, and he gave me Bradbury's phone number. Well, I didn't know if it was legitimate. 
So I, I rang this number and this guy answers the phone and I say, is this Ray Bradbury's office? And he says, this is Ray Bradbury. I had, I couldn't believe it. So I, I gave him the pitch and I said, first of all, we're, we're not raising money. We're not going to use your name to exploit this financially in any way. We're trying to do a Star Trek stamp, all the wonderful things it represents and so on. He said, put it in writing, send me a letter and I will write a letter for you. And about two weeks later, I had a copy of his letter to the Postmaster General. That was a turning point that really, that in the USA Today really gave us credibility and momentum. Then after that, I mm -hmm. figured, all right, we've got Bradbury. Why not go after Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke? So sure. I, got, I got an address for Isaac Asimov. It was the old The Address book. I don't remember who put it out. You couldn't go on the internet at that time and dig up addresses. I had to do some really digging at the library. <laughs> so I got Asimov. You had to be a tough fan back then. Yeah. That's right. And I knew Asimov was a big fan because he had been at Star Trek conventions. He, sure, he wrote sure. an article in TV Guide called Mr. Spock is dreamy. So I knew he was a fan. Two weeks right. later, I had a letter from Isaac Asimov, a copy that he wrote to the Postmaster General. So we had the two big guys, and then I got Arthur C. Clarke later, living in Sri Lanka. So big That's, turning point. So we've got this week, we're sharing the letter that uh, Majel wrote for you, yeah. which, is, which brings us back to our Star Trek connection here from the earlier days. Now, eventually there was a, I want to get to this, but eventually there was a Star Trek stamp an Enterprise stamp uh, in the late 90s as That's part right. of the, the Celebrate the Century yeah. issue. So that was 98. You're starting here 13, 14, 15 years earlier. 1985. Majel's, yeah, Majel's letter is from 95. So That's right. was there just this you know, straight line over that decade or so and decade plus? Or what, did you have ups and downs? What was oh, that like? Did we have ups and downs? Uh, the celebrities, the petitions, yeah, both. Yeah. yeah, here was the thing. I remember I'd be sitting out in the plains in North Dakota and sometimes we'd go for four, five, six months with no endorsements. And then you begin to think, oh God, we've lost all momentum. Is this over? Is this over? Uh, uh, uh. We got to the third or fourth year and I knew we were at the point of no return. We've got some high-profile endorsements here. We're in the third or fourth year. I, we're not giving up. And you're right, there were ups and downs. I'd be on a high. Then we get a formal letter of rejection from the staff committee, down in the dumps. Then we get an endorsement, I'm back up. The proverbial roller coaster. And well, it went on that way for years. People think of stamps as so innocuous, but like everything, for good and bad in life, uh, there's politics with it. There's the, the 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 winds of change blow both ways. The, as I always, the the pendulum swings back and forth on this. I mean, were you were you teased and let on? I mean, it finally happened as part of That's a bigger right. issue. That's right. Right, and then we got the 50th anniversary stamps on their own, That's which is right. also great. Yeah, you know, in, in yeah. 2016. But I mean, did you were you teased? Did you think you were on the cusp, and then it was yes. yanked away? I yes. Mean, a number. All right. They, we get a form letter saying, "Well, the, the stamp committee uh, uh, considered your proposal, didn't pass it." Then four or five months later, we get later we get another let's that would say, "Gee, you're up for reconsideration." So it was the old carrot thing. First you're up, then you're down, then you're rejected, then you're reconsidered, then you're rejected, then you're reconsidered. We were all over the place. And it's not, I mean, it's not, a, I mean, you learned early on about the, I don't know how much it's changed over the years, but there are all kinds of criteria that they, yeah. that the stamp committee, the approval, because people, there's tons of, even, even today, people don't think about stamps being a huge part of their life, but we notice they're always changing. There are still commemoratives, which are the special editions to honor people and places and things, not just 
you know, the regular issues that are nice right. and that don't honor anything in particular. What are some of the rules that you had to deal with from the from All the right. feds? And I think, and did they ever change? Well, yes. And over no, time? Well, here's the thing. <laughs> they did eventually, but they really never wanted to admit it. As anybody who's followed the story knows, we, we knew this going in. Star Trek's a commercial enterprise. We can't endorse a commercial enterprise. You're ineligible. Well, what about Laurel and Hardy, Elvis, Marilyn Monroe, stagecoach poster stamps, Oklahoma stamps, going with the wind stamps. In effect, they're promoting a commercial enterprise. I mean, it was a double standard, but I knew this going in. That was the main uh -huh. objection. So we said, you've never given us a real reason for rejecting us. Why should we back off? It's a double standard. That was right. the big hang up. Well, and let's talk about this too. In the big picture of things, the culture change. Well, Star Trek. Yeah. This is you start in '85. That's what right. I think of as a turning point was the '86. The 20th anniversary was yeah. 1986. That's the 20th right. anniversary, Spock being on the cover of Newsweek, Star Trek IV, the coming of next. This is before the Next Generation. There That's was still, right. there was still no, <laughs> it was still no other cast but the original cast, and it was starting to coalesce though. So, I, you know, the government took a little while to catch up with the culture, I That's think, right. and also just the. The view to what pop culture was, right? Now we talk about, you know, the Comic-Con culture and all that, and that didn't, obviously didn't exist. Plenty of geeks and nerds were still in the closet That's in right. the mid-80s. That's right. And weren't so obvious. But here, this is letter from Majel uh, is from 1995. That's right. Did you, did you write to Star Trek people? I mean since that's the basis. What was that like writing? Did you write to track people and never get an answer until Majel in uh, Majel was the only answer. I had, I couldn't track down the addresses of any of the, of the actors, the big name guys like Shatner or Nemo. I figured, well, if I wrote to Paramount and have them forward it, they'd probably never get it. So the only address I had for was Majel, that P.O. box, Lincoln Enterprises, and that's it. So I never really got directly to the big names like yeah. Nemo and Shatner. It's amazing that you've got, you know, John Kerry and Mike oh, Dukakis yeah. and, and among the politicians and then the scientists and the science. Right. You've got people from planetariums and museums and science centers all over the country listed here. But um, so you find it took until uh, the mid 90s to write Majel and she wrote That's you. Right. Were you surprised? I mean, were you how, how was the story there? Well, I I really wasn't that surprised. I had seen Majel at a convention in uh, uh, Cleveland in 1988. I didn't get to talk to her personally, but she did a Q&A session with a group right. of with Starfleet Command, one of the national organizations, but I'd never talked to her personally. Well, I did I did sort of a bold thing. Uh, when, <laughs> no, <laughs> really? I'm jumping ahead a little bit. In 1998, before they celebrate the stamp uh, initial century uh, kicked off, I got a phone call from a friend in Texas, Becky Tiny, and she said, I'm holding a ballot in my hand here. They're going to vote. She ran it by me. Uh -huh. And I sort of, and, and this was about the second week in April. And the voting was going to begin in about three weeks, May 1st. And I hadn't heard about this. I hadn't heard from the staff committee in months. And I sort of went into a, oh, how would you, quasi panic. And I called Majel at her home on Easter Sunday. And she was very gracious and very kind. And I was very, I said, I said, Major, I, I realize I'm being very forward and I hope I'm not offending you, but I just found out about this and we've been at this for 12, 13 years. And I wanted you to know in case you could help us out. This starts in three weeks. So we had a brief conversation and uh, that was it. That was it. But she was very okay. kind of her. I felt a little bit guilty because I felt as if I might be imposing. Right.
Well, you know what? This is, and then we finally do get the stamps. Uh, maybe, maybe we should talk more about that and what's happened since. But um, she did, she did get you the letter yep. that you had before that all happened. That's right. Um, just very graciously. We need to have you come back and finish the the tail end of this saga. But as far as the early years go, it's um, I'm just amazed at, yes, like that um, Winston Churchill (laughs) uh, bulldog attitude. It's just the the pugnaciousness of of keeping this going all those years in a a time when everything did move slower. That's right. Uh, I mean, what kept you going all that time? All right. Here's the thing. I think I don't know how else to explain this. Is it in the genes or the DNA? Call it what you want. I have seen the same kind of passion and drive in siblings in my family and my nieces and some of my nephews. I mean, they lock on with laser concentration and they will not back away. Uh, I remember Kirk too in Star Trek, uh, is it Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan? I don't believe in a no-win scenario. All I can say, I think it's a family characteristic. I don't know how else to wear that passion in <laughs> It runs in the family, it truly does. Well, will you indulge me by sticking with this project enough to come back and join I, us so I, we can I, do I, the final chapter where it all pays off? I would very much like to do that. That would be awesome. Okay, everybody, join us as we uh, have Bill finish this saga later. Bill, thanks so much, and uh, we'll have you right back. Okay, thank you. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Now, all of our documents and your chance to comment are available right there at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. Now, for more great podcasts, check out podcast.roddenberry.com. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47 that's me, <laughs> at LarryNimichek.com. Trek well, everybody. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.